of David, flawed human, holy God. And uh, I want to talk to you today about living above the circumstances and how David uh, learned to live above the circumstances. If anybody had circumstances that needed to be lived above or could overwhelm a person, it was certainly David. He spent a great deal of his life in battles, running from people, hiding from people, being attacked by people, being accused by people. And so uh, we're going to be looking at a number of uh, things from the Psalms because that's the primary place. Uh, Samuel, etc., tells us about David, but the Psalms actually, we listen to David and he speaks in the Psalms. And so we'll be looking at, at numerous of his own words and statements from the Psalms. But we're going to begin in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, and we're going to look at that whole chapter together. Um, but I, I want to just uh, ask you a question. Have you ever heard someone, you ask them the question, how are you doing? And they say, well, not too bad under the circumstances. Well, God, I believe, doesn't intend for us to live under the circumstances but rather to be a people who live above the circumstances, just as Peter um, was initially able to live above the storm, walking towards Jesus, until he let the storm become his focus, and then he began to sink. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 30, starting at verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Uh, he had come from Aphek. And so when he got to Ziklag, they had just walked 80 kilometers. And now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag, and they had attacked Ziklag. So Ziklag was David's home away from home. David was hiding in Ziklag to get away from Saul. Ziklag was in the Philistine territory. The Philistines, as you probably know, were enemies of Israel. And so David finally said, after running and running and having close encounters with Saul who was trying to kill him, he finally said, well, I'm going to go and live with the Philistines, and then Saul will stop looking for me. And so he moved to Ziklag, and he was living there amongst the enemies of Israel. So that's uh, where he's coming to now. So he comes back from another place, gets back to Ziklag, his home, with all of his men, and finds that <clears throat> the Amalekites had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive uh, and the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men, his men, were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod, and so Abiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, that is, he went to God and to the word of God and said, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. 
you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So David acted on the Lord's promise. David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Ravine, which was about 20 kilometers from Ziklag. So now they've walked 100 kilometers in the last three days. Um, two, 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the ravine, but David and 400 men continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 16. So they asked this Egyptian to take them to the enemy. So he led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling. Obviously, they weren't expecting David, who should be grieving and weeping and broken and devastated, to show up with his army. But because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah, David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. So he had just walked 100 to 120 kilometers in three or four days. Now he fights them from dusk until evening the next day. So 24 hours of battle after just walking about 120 kilometers. None of them got away. And I always find this statement a bit humorous. Nobody got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. <laughs> David recovered everything the, the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. Now, just going to interject here a verse that's not on the screen. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 49, the Lord asks this question, can plunder be taken from warriors or captives rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says, yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. Well, there's a practical example of that in David's life. Fierce warriors had burned his village and taken everything he owned, and David said to the Lord, should I go after them? Now, I don't know about you, but wouldn't it seem obvious that you should go after them? But David had learned that he needed to inquire of God or he'd get himself in trouble. And so, verse 20, he took all the flocks and herds and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying... This is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Besor Ravine. They came out to meet David and the people with him. As David and his men approached, he greeted them. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, because they didn't go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man can take his wife and children and go. David replied, no, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed over to us the forces that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to battle. All will share alike. David made this a statute and ordinance for Israel from that day to this. When David arrived in Ziklag, and remember now, Ziklag is just a smoking ruins, nothing left. When he arrived there, he sent some of the plunder 
to the elders of Judah who were his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. He sent it to those who were in Bethel, Ramoth, Negev, and Jatir, to those in Aror, Shifmoth, Eshtemoah, and Rakal, to those in the towns of the Jeremielites and the Kenites, to those in Hormah, Borashan, Athak, and Hebron, and to those in all the other places where David and his men had roamed. And by the way, you know, as I'm reading those names, if you're thinking, oh, I wasn't sure that that was the way you were, now I know how to pronounce it, but don't count on it. Um, but someone told me that when you're reading names like this, if you just read them confidently, then everybody will think that that's the right way to pronounce them. <laughs> well, so the question is, how did David live above his circumstances? Well, the first thing, and I'm going to look with us at five things that in David's life that show us how he had learned to live above all the trouble and turmoil and chaos and danger and hatred and attacks that surrounded his life a great deal of the time. Number one, David was living for God's kingdom and honor, not his own. That is, he had dealt with his priorities. What was he living for? Well, in Psalm 27, 4, he tells us what he was living for. He said this, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. One thing I ask of the Lord. What one thing are you asking of God? Well, David was in Ziklag because, as I mentioned, he was hiding from Saul. He had already been anointed king. Samuel had anointed him as king. Nathan talked to us about that previously. And so he'd been anointed, uh, and so he knew that he was going to become king, um, but he wasn't seeking to take over the throne in his own way. Now, if, you re if you've read uh, through recently the Kings and Samuel and Chronicles, you'll see that many of the kings uh, took things into their own hands. They went and killed the other king and killed their whole family and then took over. Well, David uh, would not do that. And as a matter of fact, even when twice he had the opportunity to kill Saul and his men said to him, come on, let's do him in and you'll be free of all this trouble with him hunting you. David said, no way, I'm not going to touch him. He's God's anointed. And so he waited on God's timing. Well, if we're living with our focus on ourselves and on this world, then we will be influenced by the atmosphere and circumstances of this world and we'll find ourselves living under the circumstances. If we're living for a person and that person leaves or disappoints us, we'll be devastated. If we're living for a career and it goes sour, we'll be knocked off balance. If we're living for praise and we don't get it, we'll be disappointed and angry. If we're living for success and we fail, we will despair. Let me just give you an example of that. Uh, in Olympic athletes. In the Winter Olympics a few years back in the women's hockey, Canada won the gold, the U.S. got silver, and it was either Sweden or Switzerland that got the bronze. I can't remember which one. doesn't really matter uh, because it's the U.S. that I'm wanting to focus on. So Canada gold, U.S. silver, and Sweden or Switzerland bronze. Now, the bronze winners 
when they were on the medal podium, were celebrating and rejoicing. Third place. Wow, we got third place. This is wonderful. The U.S. team were crying with second place because winning was not uh, everything. It was the only thing for them. And so if we're living for success and we don't get it, we'll be in trouble. But if we're living for Christ and His kingdom, we can live above the circumstances because we know that He works all things for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. It's important to quote that whole verse, by the way. I often hear people quoting simply, we know that God works all things together for good. It isn't just a general automatic thing. It says, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. In other words, for, for the pursuers of Jesus, we can be sure that He is working everything for good. If we're not walking in obedience to God, we can't just quote that verse and say, well, oh well, things are troublesome, but God works everything for good. It, it isn't automatic. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, or mammon, as some translations put it. And, the, and what that is meaning really is not simply cash. It's really meaning the spirit of greed and the world's system and the love of money. Jesus never said money is the root of all evil. He said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that's crucial to recognize. So David was not living for this world and things. He was living to seek God and was saying, God, there's one thing I want, just one thing. I want to know you. I want to seek you. I want to see you. I want to walk with you. Paul said in Colossians, set your minds and set your hearts on things above. Set. Notice that word, set. Set your minds, set your hearts. We say about somebody, well, he's set on doing such and such. In other words, there's no detouring him from this plan that he's got. Well, I trust that that can be said of us. He is set on following God. He's set on seeking the Lord. Number two, David dealt with his relationships, first with God and then also with others. In the verse we already read in verse 6, 1 Samuel David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Now, just stop for a minute and put yourself in David's shoes. So, first of all, he's living in Ziklag, which is in enemy territory, away from his homeland because the king of his homeland is chasing him around his homeland, trying to kill him. So he's living in exile away from home. Now, uh, he goes away with his men into battle and comes back and everything is gone. Everything. The, the town is burned. All of his stuff is gone. His family is gone. His wives, his children, his cattle, everything. And then, on top of that, all of his men say, hey, we should stone David. It's his fault. So there he is, all alone entirely, everything gone, including now all of his friends saying, we're going to do him in because it's his fault. Our trouble is because of you, David. We're going to do you in. 
what does it say at the end of that verse? But, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Everything and everyone were against him, alone, in the midst of trouble, but David found strength in the Lord his God. His identity was not found in what others thought of him, but in his relationship with his God. He gave no place in his heart to the bitterness that was motivating all the people around him. It says they were bitter in spirit. David did not become bitter in spirit. He didn't say, God, why did you let this happen to me? I thought you said I was going to be king. You anointed me as king, but ever since that happened, Saul's been chasing me around the country trying to kill me. And now, look at this. He didn't get angry at God because he knew his God and he knew the character of God. David also walked in repentance in Psalm 32 Five. This was after he had sinned with Bathsheba. Uh, I think Nathan spoke about that a few weeks ago. And this is what uh, David said. He, he begins the chapter by saying, you know, when I didn't confess my sin, I was in major trouble. I was groaning and, and weary and broken and troubled. I'm just paraphrasing. And then he says in verse 5, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt, I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me, all my guilt is gone. So David was at rest with God because he walked with a repentant spirit. He also made time for friendship with God. Psalm 5 verse 3 says this, morning by morning, O Lord, you hear my voice, morning by morning, I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. Is that your habit, friends? Morning by morning. In other words, every morning, every day when you get up, do you come into the presence of God and say, Lord, here I am. Here's my voice. Here are my requests. Here are my needs. I love you. I want to know you. Draw me close to you. Teach me your ways. Notice uh, that David made time to be with God he didn't find the time. We can never find time. Time is always way too full, at least I think most of you will attest to that, that there's never a whole lot of extra time with which you say, what should I do now? Uh, rather, we're pressed with the needs of life and we need to make time, wrench it away from something else to be in the presence of Jesus. David wasn't running his own life he was following the directions of his Lord. Remember when he showed up at Ziklag and it was burned, he, he went to the Lord and said, should I go after them? He asked God what to do. He didn't just say, come on, guys, let's go and get them back. He said, should I go after them? And then he followed God's instructions. Psalm 16, 2, we see his commitment to the Lordship of Jesus. He said, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, apart from you, I have no good thing. In other words, God, you're in charge. I'm following you. You tell me what to do. If God had said to David, no, don't go after them, what would he have done? Well, I believe he would have stayed right there because he was asking God, God, I don't know what to do. Life has fallen apart. I need you. 
because I don't know how to handle this. Well, what does it mean to make him Lord? Jesus spoke about what it means in Luke chapter 6. He said this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I'll show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. David faced an amazing storm, did he not? Everything had collapsed around him, but it could not shake him because he was founded on the rock. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The other gospel, I think it's Matthew, says on the sand. Anyway, just poorly built. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. What are we building on? What is the foundation of our lives? Is Jesus Lord? Is He in charge? When we have to make decisions, do we go to Him and say, God, I don't know what to do. I have no idea what the right thing is to do here. You show me what to do. You guide me and teach me your ways. You alone know what's going to happen in five minutes. I haven't a clue. It's not enough to invite Jesus to be our Savior from sin if we're going to be able to withstand the storms, the inevitable storms of life that are going to come. Jesus said, in the world, you might have trouble. Did He say that? What did He say? You will have trouble. Thank you. Sorry, I got that wrong. Uh, <laughs> in the world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Only when Jesus is Lord, when He's in charge, when He's guiding our lives, when He's directing things, will we be able to stand strong in the midst of collapsing worlds as David did. Another way to look at that is to ask the question, who is sitting in the driver's seat of your life? Who's running the show? Who's making the turns? Who's deciding what road to take? Are you the one behind the wheel or have you turned it over to Jesus and said, here, you drive, I don't know where I'm going? Cameron, if you heard his testimony a, a few weeks ago, shared with us that he was struggling and battling with all sorts of trouble and addictions and difficulties in his life. His life was a mess. And then he says, I turned everything over to God, even my dog, he said. And that's, that's a little humorous, but it's not just humorous. In other words, we need to turn everything over to, dog, our, uh, to God, our pets. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> I'm a bit dyslexic this morning. <laughs> the, the, the dyslexic uh, agnostic who, who sat up all night wondering if there really was a dog. Anyway, okay, let's get serious. <laughs> Have you ever said to Jesus, you be the Lord of my life, you be in charge, I will follow and obey you whatever it costs, whatever it takes, wherever you lead, because you alone know where to take me. Psalm 62, 5, David said this, 
Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Find rest, O my soul, where? In God alone. Nowhere else to go. Certainly, David had nowhere else to go at Ziklag. There was nothing else and no one else left, only enemy territory and a burn the city. In Psalm 27, which isn't on the screen, he said this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So when he arrived in Ziklag, what did he do? Did he sit down and say, phew, wow, that was a close call. We finally got everybody back. Uh, let's store these things up. No, he didn't. He starts sending off gifts from his plunder all over the countryside to all of his friends. Wow, what an attitude. If you had just uh, walked into your neighborhood and found your house burned down and everything gone, and then someone shows up and hands you a bag of money, would you start handing it out? Well, I'm not sure that I would. But that's David's approach. He was not living for things. He was living for God. And so when he got blessings from God, as he said to the men, remember the guys that said, hey, we're not going to give these guys any of the plunder. They didn't fight with us. They, were, they just sat back here. And David said, no way. Everybody is going to share alike because he had a heart of generosity. Thirdly, David dealt with his thoughts. Um, there's a story in 2 Samuel, and this won't be on the screen, but let me just re recount it to you. David's child was dying, and actually it was because of his sin uh, against Bathsheba. And so David spent his nights lying on the ground, fasting and praying and crying out to God and saying, God, please save my child. And then the child died, and they were afraid to tell David. They thought he'd do something drastic. But when he found out that the child had died, it says this, he got up from the ground, washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of God and worshipped. His child had just died, and he goes into the house of God and worshipped. You know the song, uh, Come Now is the Time to Worship? I learned that at a funeral for a baby that was chosen by the parents of that baby. Come, now is the time to worship. What an attitude. What a mindset that David had. How did he live above the circumstances? He was a worshiper. He took control of his thoughts and focused them on the living God. Psalm 59, 16, he said this, I will sing of your strength in the morning, I will sing of your love. Now, let me pause before I finish that verse to tell you what was happening with David. He was surrounded, his house was surrounded by Saul's armies waiting for him to come out so they could kill him. David's in his house singing. I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. Oh, my strength, I sing praise to you Oh, God, you are my fortress, my loving God. Wow. Worship 
was David's way of life. Worship transforms the thoughts, and transformed thoughts transform us and our hearts. David said, every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Have you ever told God that? God, I'm going to praise you every day. Today is a great day, and so I'm going to praise you, but tomorrow, if things collapse, I'm going to praise you tomorrow as well. Paul said this in Thessalonians 5, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. That doesn't mean we give thanks for evil, but can God take evil and turn it into good? Well, look at the cross. The worst evil of all history, of all time, was evil people killing the innocent Son of God on the cross. And what did God do with that? He took it and made it the greatest good of all time to save millions and billions of people. Every day I will praise you. David didn't dwell on the situation at hand in Ziklag, but he turned his thoughts to God. And I would venture a guess that because David was a worshiper, that he probably sang one of his psalms. He may have sang that one that I just read to you. I will sing of your strength today in the midst of these ashes, God. I will trust you today. Corey ten Boom was in prison for hiding Jews from the Nazis, if you are not familiar with her story, but was arrested and put in prison. All of her family died in concentration camps. She alone uh, was released. And she was in solitary confinement in a concentration camp, and she was singing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And then she heard a lady in the next cell responding with the second verse of What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Let me read to you what they were singing. This is what Corey was singing. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And the lady who was responding had seen her husband shot and was now in solitary confinement. And she sang this, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let me suggest to you that there is one verse that if you haven't memorized it, I would suggest you need to memorize it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, just think about Ziklag when David and his men showed up there. So, obviously, the men with him were not thinking about those sorts of things, were they? They were thinking 
everything's gone, we're in trouble, David's to blame, it's miserable, life is hopeless, and so they were dwelling on all the troubled things. David took control of his thoughts and found strength in the Lord his God. So I encourage you to memorize this verse, Philippians 4.8. I use this personally as my primary sword. Whenever I am tempted with thoughts that come to mind that I know are not proper thoughts, I pull out that sword and I begin to quote it. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. And I ask myself the question, is this true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Now, it might be true, but the chances are good it's not excellent or praiseworthy. And so we need to go through the whole sieve in order to get to the bottom. And I'd encourage you to print this out and put it in your car and put it in your bathroom and put it on your TV and put it on your computer wherever you entertain yourself and ask the question, is this something that I want to be filling my mind? Is it true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, and especially is it excellent or praiseworthy? Now, Dave was just this morning praying about seeds. So, raise your hand if you can see this little bottle. Okay, some of you can see the bottle. Now, in the bottle is a seed. Raise your hand if you can see the seed. <laughs> okay, so in this bottle is a mustard seed. So, my question is this. If I drop that mustard seed in the edge of my garden today, will it make any significant difference? Well, certainly not for some time, and probably not a huge difference because it may grow up on the edge of things. But supposing that each day, day after day, I drop one mustard seed in the edge of my garden, day after day after day, will it make any difference in my garden? Indeed it will. And so the seeds that we allow to germinate in our minds are going to affect the crop that we get. If we're dropping seeds of the world's mindset and values, we'll get the world's crop. Let me read for you again what Nathan has quoted twice in the last few weeks from Leslie Newbegin. He said this, if the biblical story is not the one that really controls our thinking, then inevitably we shall be swept into the story the world tells about itself. I thought, wow, that is a really significant statement. If God's word, his values, his focus, his kingdom is not capturing our hearts and minds, then the world will. So I'm asking us the question, what is controlling our minds? What is filling our minds? Number four, David dealt with his heart attitudes. He did not give place to bitterness and vengeful attitudes. As we have already read, his men were bitter in spirit, and as a result of that, were planning to murder somebody. Bitterness leads to death. And David said, no way, we're not going to listen to this. The others were bitter and angry. David gave no place to bitterness. 
even when Saul was continually trying to kill him. He didn't give place to bitterness and anger and murderous thoughts towards Saul. He put it in God's hands and said, God, my life is yours. I'm walking with you. You lead the way. The enemy will use even friends, and that's what happened with David, two different times. They said to him, just let us kill Saul. We'll get it over with quick, and you'll be free from him. And David said, no way. God is the one who will decide when Saul stops being king and I start being king. And so he wouldn't listen. As I walk around in the bush on my property, often I frequently see large trees that are knocked over by the wind, seemingly tall, strong, healthy-looking trees. The bark, the needles, the limbs, all are normal-looking. They look fine. And 80% or 90% of the tree is also fine, except that the heartwood at the base of it is rotten, and therefore it has no strength, and the wind, a small wind, blows it over quite easily. So my question is, how is my heart and yours? Solomon said, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. A bitter root was springing up in David's men and and if God hadn't intervened, it would have changed the entire course of history. Jesus said, if you forgive men their sins, the Father will forgive you. If you don't forgive, He will not forgive you. Forgiveness is not an optional choice for us as followers of Jesus who desire to know Him and to know His leading in our lives. And then number five, David dealt with his security and trust, his possessions. As we saw, when David got back from rescuing everything, he didn't hoard things, he started giving them away because his security was not in things and his trust was not in the world. His security was in God. He said, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. Some trust in chariots, he said. This is not on the screen. And some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. If our focus is on the things of this world and we lose them, we will be defeated and devastated. Are your circumstances getting the better of you? Are they overwhelming you? Stop and think about the five things that, that David dealt with. Let me just review those five things for us. First of all, his priorities. What is our focus? Is it eternal or temporal? Secondly, his relationships. Who are we living for? If someone other than God is first, we will inevitably dis be disappointed, however wonderful that person might be. For one thing, because they will eventually die. And so, if our trust, if our hope is in somebody, we're in trouble. Thirdly, he dealt with his thoughts. What thoughts motivate us? Are they self-seeking thoughts? Are they thoughts of fear or anger? Or are they thoughts of worship and focus on the living God? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, said David. And finally, his security and trust. Where are we looking 
for security. If we're looking to anything the world offers, well, then we're in trouble because there's nothing secure. Some of the big banks in the U.S. have been collapsing lately because there's nothing secure on this earth but God. But David found strength in the Lord his God. So let me close with three scriptures. Two of them we've already read. Let me just review them. Psalm 27.4, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, one thing, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek Him in His temple. This was not a casual relationship. This was a man who was hungry for God and pursuing Him. Find rest, Psalm 62.5. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my fortress, sorry, and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Are you finding rest in your soul, in the presence of God, which is the only place that it can be found? Well, the author of Hebrews captures this life of living above the circumstances when he says this in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, David and a crowd of others, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this, how? By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, our Lord and Master and King, our God, we love you, we long for you, we seek you. Lord, we live in a world where the circumstances often pile up on us and begin to overwhelm us. And so let us say with David, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lord, we run to you, we seek your face, we say to you, oh God, you are my God. You're my only hope. You're my only strength. I have no strength or wisdom to face the things of this world. But you, Jesus, said that you have overcome the world. And so, Lord, come and meet us today. Lord, you see every heart. You see the needs. You see the struggles. You see the turmoil. You see the battles. And you are faithful. And for every one of our situations... You have strength and grace for us to meet that situation. In some cases, we will get back what we lost. In other cases, we may not, as Corrie ten Boom lost her whole family and didn't get them back, but you were her faithful strength and fortress day by day. So strengthen us with might by your Spirit in our inner being, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. The worship team is going to lead us in a couple of songs, and I want to just encourage you, if you have never said to Jesus, you be the Lord of my life, you be in the driver's seat, I'd encourage you to do that today, and if, if 
you are willing to do that and would like to declare that, I'd encourage you to come forward and just kneel or stand and